The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Did you all notice this particular work of art that we have here today? Does anybody know what these are? Yeah, I'm not going to sit there anyways. Does anybody know what these are? Yes. 90 at 5 theses. That sounds good, right? 95, we all know what that is. That's a number, right? So 5 less than 100. So 95. What are theses? Yes. Things that Martin Luther saw that were wrong. In this case, yes. Theses, yes. Uh, uh, it, it can count one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> Yeah, like he lists them all out and he numbers them, right? These, in a very, very basic explanation, these are Martin Luther's... Arguments is going to be a weird word. These are Martin Luther's ideas. And as short as he can make them, which isn't very short, as you can see, as short as he can make them, these are Martin Luther's ideas. Every one of them is a little thing that he thinks we should do differently. Okay? Now, indulgence is a very, very big word. It's not talking about dessert. Indulgence is what one part of our church a long time ago, we were trying to say that if you give me money, God will forgive you. Does that sound right? No. Anybody want to try? 
Anybody want to try? No? Okay, that's a good thing. How does God forgive us? Yes. Then what happens? Very good. He asks for forgiveness. God forgives you. Yes. Say you're sorry. And God forgives you. Yes. He just does it. Very, very good. There's a little part in Romans that we say uh, sometimes during our confession. Can everybody look at my nose? Right here? I know it's in a different spot, but can everybody look at my nose? There you go. That's okay. He can hear. There's a thing that we say during confession. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means, for you all, that before you say you're sorry, before you ask, before you do anything wrong, before you even think about it, before you get up in the morning, before any of it, God loves you. Plain and simple. When you do something wrong, can everybody look at my nose again? When, when you do something wrong, God loves you. Everybody look at my nose one more time. After you do something wrong, God loves you. Every single time. Every single time. God loves you. At one point in the church, we weren't saying that. And so we needed to change. Later on, we didn't say it again, and we needed to change. If you ever catch your church not saying first and foremost that God loves you with all God's heart, no matter what, we need to change. Now, I got, I got a question. Can everybody look at me? I got a question. Yeah. Whose job is it to make sure that the church says the right thing? Yes. Jesus. Jesus, pretty much. But here on earth, whose job is it to make sure the church says the right thing? Yes. One. But there's more than one person. Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. Part of Jesus. Yep. All of us. Very good. This is not my church. This is our church. And together, we make sure that people know about Christ. And how we live and how we act and how we talk. And what we preach and in checking to make sure that we never get off topic. We never stop saying that God loves us and that God calls us to work like Christ. So what's your job in the church? Yeah. To make sure the church says the right thing and does the right thing, right? Exactly. We are the ones who say and do the right thing. Well, we try to at least. Very good. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for loving us no matter what. We give you thanks for that love in our hearts for one another. We ask that every day we might be the best church we can be. That we might act out what it means to be like Christ. That we might say what it means to be like Christ. And then we might do what it means to be like Christ. And if we ever get off topic, if we ever get off the point, we ask that you would bring us back through you, God, and through one another. In your name we pray. Amen.
In the name of Jesus, amen. In a text like we have today, I think we understand, at least I understand, why saints are important. For those of you who come from different backgrounds, and even from those of you who have been here your entire life, just a little review. Saints are not those special people that we lift up that are separate from us. We are all saints. We are all made holy by God. We are also all sinners. We are all very much both saints and sinners. Set apart and made holy and graced and forgiven by God, called into this world to do the work of the kingdom here and fully and evermore human sinners. We are both. We are all both. So, on this All Saints Sunday, I think a text like we have in front of us today shows me the need, and perhaps you too, for those saints. Because when you look at the first half of the text for today, you hear all these blessings, and they sound good. Who would disagree with the blessing of those who are poor? Who would disagree with the blessing of those who are hungry, who weep and mourn, who are ridiculed? Who would disagree with God stepping down from heaven and saying, I am with you. I am for you. I will be there for you. Those are good things. And in a miraculous type of way, the text both calls us into hope and acts in that moment. Because if you are one of the ones who are mourning, if you are the one of the ones hurting, if you are the one of the ones poor or forgotten or persecuted, and you hear that, you both have hope for the future and hope for now. Because God will be there for you in that moment, in that presence. And you know that that will continue to happen. But then there's the second half of the text, right? The woe to use. In common academic theological language, we call these blessings and cursings. Woe to you who are filled. Woe to you when people speak highly of you. Woe to you when you're rich. What do you do with that? It'd be great if Luke just stopped there, said blessings for those who are persecuted, blessings for those who have need, and God will step down from heaven, but then the woe to use. What does that mean? When I get stuck in what to do with the text that is clearly calling me to a life of Christian discipleship, when I get stuck, whether it's because I don't want to do that work or I don't know how to do that work or I don't even know what that work means, when I get stuck, that's where the saints come in. The saints from every time and place, including ours. There's three ways I know how to be Christian, how to be Ben Siebert in this world. Since we're in church, we'll make the first scripture. It tells me what it means to be like Christ. It tells me what it means to be a disciple. It tells me who God is. It tells me what a life with God looks like and should be like. It tells me what prayer is. It tells me what discipleship is. All that stuff. Second, is I'm told. Parents are a good example of this. I am told what to do. I am told how to be. I am told how to act. 
Most of the time, my parents, I will forever hear my parents' voices in my ears saying, I am only going to tell you this once, right? <laughs> and the reason I will forever hear it in my ears is because they said that way more than once, right? <laughs> I'm only going to tell you once how to act, how to be, how to do this. And it's not because they enjoyed running a little tyrannical field inside their household. It's because they wanted me to grow up good. They wanted me to grow up in the lines of Christ. And honestly, I hate to admit it, but we just don't come out of the womb like that, do we? We just don't. So your parents tell you how to be, how to act. Your teachers tell you how to be, how to act. Your pastors tell you how to be and how to act. Your, your peers, your friends, your family... They tell you directly. So first we have scripture telling us how to live. And then we have those people placed in our lives telling us how to live. And third, we hear it indirectly through story. We hear the stories of saints and sinners long past. We hear the stories of saints during the Reformation. We hear the stories of saints among us. We hear the stories and we experience the stories of those People we celebrate and mourn the loss of today over the past year. We take the stories of the saints and we put them inside of our hearts. In all those ways, these saints help us to know what it means to be a Christian. Luther's a great example of this. Let me read you Theses 94 and 95. This is going to be fun. Theses 94 states, Christians should be exhorted to be diligent in following Christ. That sounds good, right? Christians should be diligent, uh, exhorted to be diligent in following Christ their head through penalties, death and hell. Whoop, okay. Do I, I don't preach like that very often, do I? I'm not really a fire and brimstone kind of guy. If you want, I can start reading excerpts from Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God on Sundays, but I don't think quite that much. But there's a reason Luther does that. If we remember that indulgences were that policy of the papal authorities and the Pope himself to build money inside the coffers by selling, in essence, bits and pieces of forgiveness and assurance of salvation, which surely doesn't happen through a financial transaction. We have that in the back of our head. Oh, I'm sorry. We have that in the back of our head. 94. Christians should be exhorted to be diligent following Christ, their head, through penalties, death, and hell, and thus be confident entering into heaven through any through many tribulations rather than through false security of peace. In the most basic way. In the most basic way. We should know our salvation in the midst of any trials, in the midst of any tribulations, in the midst of anything that causes us to wear and to have grief and to have sorrow. In the midst of the works of life, that's where we encounter grace and mercy and nowhere else. Luther 
pointed to the same dialogue that we have in today's text. When we are indeed being the ones blessed by God and the ones cursed by God. That's where we find grace. Who taught you what it means to be a Christian? Who taught you what it means to be a Christian? Who was the one whose life you buried deep inside your heart so that you would know what to do in the moments where law and gospel come right up against each other? Where the, where the text can truly terrify and comfort at the same time? Who's the one who you go to and say, if I live my life in this way, somehow I can get to do unto others as they would do to you. Somehow I can get to the heart of a discipleship type of life. Who's the one that modeled faith for you? I want you to think of them right now. Who's the one, past, present, who's the one that modeled faith? And there's probably a lot. I want you to take 30 seconds to think about that. Go. I don't know about you. Those people are giants in my heart. They are and forever will be a hard act to follow, so to speak. That's the way it is with saints. They call us to something deeper and something truer in a life of discipleship than we can call ourselves by the grace of God. I promise you that you are saints. I promise you that you are sinners too. And I also promise that someone along the way, whether they're past or present or will be in the future, will look to you specifically and individually for what it means to live a life of faith. You will be held in the heart of someone you will be giants in this earth. You will be the ones who are a far hard act to follow. And I know you don't feel like it. And I know it doesn't make sense. But you are the ones who will be held in the hearts of the generations to come as the ones who taught us how to live and how to act, how to negotiate these things that both terrify and give grace. You will be the ones who model stewardship. You will be the ones who model forgiveness. You will be the ones who model faithfulness. You are the ones who are in the hearts of others. You are the ones who are in my heart. 
thanks be to God for the saints that came before us and taught us how to do these things, but more so, thanks be to God for grace in the midst of our own sainthood. Because I know that I fail in that, but I know that there is grace. There's grace for you, but there's also eyes watching. Go out in faithfulness and ensure an assured hope of grace and be those saints. Thanks be to God for your own sainthood and teaching me what it means to be a Christian. Thanks be to God. Amen.